You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC's Premier says the government is ready to use emergency powers if the spread of the COVID-19 virus gets out of hand. The provincial government unveiling its wide-ranging pandemic response plan today. Aaron MacArthur has more on the priorities as cases continue to climb around the world. We do still have 21 people who have tested positive for COVID-19 here in British Columbia. While the numbers remain the same, there are plans for a much wider outbreak in BC. Any escalation of COVID cases can be met with a rapid response. Our response provincially and federally needs to carefully balance health risks with social risks and economic risks and to be able to adapt quickly as situational changes arise. Learning from SARS two decades ago and even recent wildfire seasons, BC has the ability to roll out emergency plans across all of government, which can include everything from adding extra hospital capacity to redeploying frontline staff. And like we've seen around the world, the government can use emergency powers to ramp up quarantines, restrict people's movement, even manage grocery store supply chains. All of that on an as-needed basis. Our priority at present is to do our best to prevent, but at least, uh, and it's certainly to prevent the virus, to contain the virus, and at least delay the onset of widespread community transmission for as long as possible. The situation around the world remains volatile. Of immediate concern, the situation in the U.S., a cruise ship with thousands of passengers, including more than 230 Canadians, is being held off the California coast while people are tested. You may have heard this on the news by the media already. And we apologize, but we were not given advance notice of this announcement by the U.S. federal government. South by Southwest in Texas has been cancelled. The University of Washington has told all of its students to stay home until the end of term. While testing has been almost non-existent up until now in the U.S., BC leads the way, doubling the number of tests carried out just last week. By the end of next week, we will have four additional labs able to test for COVID-19, as well as, in the coming uh, month, additional machines so we can continue to increase the testing available to British Columbians. BC continues to monitor international travellers, including people crossing from the U.S. If there is any large-scale epidemic here, expect the response to last not weeks but months. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Keith Baldry has been following the provincial developments very closely today. Keith, mm -hmm. we are learning a little bit more about this virus and how it really affects people. Yeah, this is the government's uh, pandemic coordination plan. I really invite people to go to the website, take a look at this thing, chock full of information. And one of the interesting things here, Chris, is the government's looked at what happened in China, where this virus originated, uh, of course, and where it had such widespread impact in one province in particular. And it gleaned from there some data that shows what could happen in terms of the rates of various levels if it, when it comes to British Columbia. First of all, take a look at the impact it actually had on people. It actually wasn't that bad for the vast majority of people. 81% who contracted the virus were only mild cases. 14% were severe. 5% were critical. We have one critical case in, in BC right now, and the overall fatality rate was 2.3%, still significantly high. Now, people with underlying health conditions, though, in China experienced some more, greater difficulties than others. Who's the most vulnerable? People with cardiovascular uh, vascular disease is the most at 10.5%, very high fatality rate. And you see other conditions there, diabetes, chronic respiratory disease, hypertension and cancer, all experiencing fatality rates substantially higher 
than the overall fatality rate for the entire population. At least in China, we don't know if those will be the same numbers in BZ, probably a little more positive, given our, our healthcare uh, situation here is probably better than China. All right, yeah, interesting stats on the fatality rate there, and I, I don't really know how people are going to look at those. Is that comforting or, or not? Well, yeah, take a look at the overall fatality rate. When we break it down by age groups, you can see substantial mar uh, par parts of the population do not have a big uh, uh, fatality rate. Uh, it not until you get to the age of 50 where the numbers really start to grow. So you see up until 50, 0.4% is the highest. But then take a look how the numbers grow as people age. And it goes significantly starting uh, in age 50 to 60, 1.3%. Then it climbs to almost 4%, then 8%. And finally, people over 80 years old, uh, 14 14.8%. Now, you can look at these as glass half full, glass half empty, but Dr. Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer, actually takes some comfort in the data she's saying because it provides a plan for her and her team. What is heartening to us and when looking at the data, there is much more that we know about this virus now. There were many unknowns at the very beginning. We didn't know if the types of control measures in China would work. But we now have a lot of data that tells us it did. And we have a roadmap. We understand the things that we need to do here to protect ourselves and our community. So you can expect to hear a lot from Dr. Bonnie Henry in the weeks and months ahead. She's a very reassuring, positive voice, and she's the public face now of the government's uh, plan to basically combat what is expected to be a pandemic in this province sometime soon. Yeah, sounds like it. Okay, Keith in Victoria, thanks a lot. Have a good weekend. Now, with all the concerns about hand washing and cleanliness, TransLink says extra steps are being taken to help prevent the spread of disease on transit. All SkyTrain cars are cleaned overnight and all surfaces are given a disinfectant wipe down. In addition to daily cleanings, earlier this week, the bus and sea bus fleets were treated with a strong disinfectant spray down. At the same time, we are getting a better picture of just how big the economic impact of this outbreak could become. The BC Business Council says the slowdown of the China-centered global supply chain and concerns about international air travel have already hit the global economy very hard. Jordan Armstrong is live in downtown Vancouver with more on some of the examples locally we're hearing about and abroad, Jordan. And Chris, the situation is really changing by the hour. Late this afternoon, we heard that TED Talks will either be postponed from April to July or perhaps go ahead as a digital-only event. A final decision will be made early next week. Even a charity benefiting BC's sickest kids is feeling the economic impact of COVID-19. It's an incredible uh, gala, and it has the ability to draw out some of Vancouver's most generous donors. It is a major fundraiser, which last year collected more than $4 million for BC Children's Hospital Foundation. But Saturday's 25th annual Children We Care Gala at Hotel Vancouver is postponed indefinitely. What it really came down to was that the public health concerns have increased over the number of, last number of days, and donors and volunteers were reaching out to us and expressing their concern about attending. And so we really had to prioritize their peace of mind and comfort in coming. From charities to the tourism sector, the economic uncertainty of COVID-19 is spreading across the province. The headline from the Business Council of BC is, buckle up. Uncertain times. Uh, it, uh, the environment is evolving very rapidly. 
The council now predicts BC's economy will grow just 1.3 to 1.6 percent this year, a significant downward revision to their January forecast when they predicted BC growth was unlikely to fall below 2 percent. Hardest hit is going to be airline industry, tourism and the related spending activity in the hospitality space around tourism. BC's exporters will also feel the pain with reduced demand for commodities and raw materials as manufacturing in Asia contracts. Yes, much of the news is grim, but there is a silver lining. The interest rate cut will be good for consumers. Consumers who are borrowing and anyone looking to buy a house, that is positive. A 50 basis point cut, a half a percentage point trim is a big move. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see another cut uh, in the not too distant future. Now, a couple of footnotes about public events. There is a Canucks game tonight, and the team says more cleaning staff and hand sanitizing stations will be in place at Rogers Arena. And even though that fundraising gala for BC Children's Hospital Foundation is on hold, the foundation points out donations can still be made online at bcchf.ca. Chris, back to you. All right, let's hope the donations pour in. And fist bumps instead of handshakes, they tell us, are much better. Of course, if a lot of people take the advice to stay home, if they're even a little bit sick, that will also have a big impact on BC businesses. But what happens if they're told to stay home by their employer, even if they aren't showing any symptoms? Will they still get paid? John Waugh takes a look at workers' rights in an outbreak. As countries around the world take extreme measures to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Here in British Columbia, some businesses have shut down as a precaution. We need to look at the Employment Standards Act. How can we work to ensure that they are not forcing employees to come to work? While this Victoria Credit Union closed for days until a suspected case of coronavirus was ruled out next door. Pure speculation forcing others to stay home without pay. I think it's employers reacting out of fear, um, being overly cautious uh, and not being sensitive to employment rights. This employment lawyer says in many cases there have been no symptoms or possible exposure, only panic. We're seeing employers come up with policies that say, look, if you've been to Asia uh, and in some of the worst situations, if you're an Asian person, uh, then you need to quarantine. Gould says unless there are clear reasons to keep an employee at home, that person likely has a right to compensation. If it turns out that the decision to send them home and to not pay them is, is speculative, it's fear-based, uh, there's no rational reason for that, uh, then they would have rights against their employer. As more people are tested and quarantined, the province acknowledging the need for better employee protection. We want to also work, of course, with the federal government who has uh, other tools at their disposal with respect to uh, unemployment insurance so that we can put in place protections for employees. For those with confirmed cases of COVID-19, the solution might come from the SARS outbreak in 2003 when that diagnosis was officially declared a disability. There's an obligation to accommodate that employee to, to the point of undue hardship. As COVID-19 blurs the line between precaution and panic, the rights of employees caught in the middle must remain clear. Sean Hua, Global News. Saanich police are looking for a suspect who's believed to be involved in two separate sexual assaults on young women. Police released BC Transit surveillance images of the suspect, described as about 30 years old, with a dark complexion, five feet seven inches tall with black hair, and he spoke with an accent. He has a prominent bald spot on the back of his head, although you can't see it in these photos. 
A 25-year-old woman said a man assaulted her near a bus stop back on February 26th at about 10 p.m. The man apparently engaged her in a conversation, followed her off the bus, and began sexually touching her. A 17-year-old girl reported, uh, reported a similar incident the following night. So if you know the suspect or have any information, please call Crime Stoppers. The young man charged with the horrible murder of an Abbotsford teenager in her own school has been convicted of second-degree murder. At issue was not whether Gabriel Klein had stabbed Letitia Reimer to death, but whether he had intended to kill her. Catherine Urquhart explains why the judge found Klein guilty of murder and not the lesser crime of manslaughter. Friends and family of murdered 13-year-old Letitia Reimer exit B.C. Supreme Court in New Westminster. Many wear shirts that read, Abby Strong. Justice Heather Holmes has just found Gabriel Klein guilty of second-degree murder and aggravated assault. The justice certainly made the right decision here, and in our opinion, that uh, this was second-degree murder. It was clearly intent. Uh, he, uh, Gabriel Klein had the clear intention to uh, murder both girls and succeeded with murdering uh, Letitia Reimer. In November 2016, Klein walked into Abbotsford Senior Secondary and stabbed Reimer 14 times. Her friend was also stabbed and suffered serious injuries. <laughs> Evidence during trial included videos taken the day of the murder. One showed Klein in a Cabela's stealing the murder weapon. Another had him stealing alcohol. Defense argued for a lesser charge of manslaughter due to his schizophrenia. Crown argued Klein faked symptoms of a mental disorder immediately after the stabbings in an effort to be found not criminally responsible. I haven't read the judge's full reasons, but she did reference um, discussions with corrections officers, discussions with psychiatrists, and in all of those discussions he expressed shock and regret at what he was what he did. Klein will be sentenced in June. His conviction for second-degree murder carries an automatic life sentence with parole eligibility ranging from 10 to 25 years. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Police say there is no change to how distracted driving laws are being enforced despite a recent court ruling that calls them into question. That's right, an officer pulled over a driver today right in the middle of the announcement in Surrey about distracted driving and a crackdown that included Surrey RCMP, White Rock RCMP and ICBC. All of those agencies reminding drivers to keep your eyes on the road and off your cell phones. But a B.C. judge recently acquitted a Victoria woman who was ticketed for having a phone in her lap, which she was not using at the time. Under the Motor Vehicle Act... A cell phone needs to be firmly affixed to a dash using an approved uh, cell phone holder. It cannot be just sitting in your cup holder or on the seat next to you. It should not be within arm's reach of the driver. If those situations are present, it could lead to a violation ticket, depending on the unique circumstances present in that interaction you have with police. Right now, we'll be returning our clocks, or turning our clocks, I guess, ahead by one hour this weekend. But could it be for the last time? As Richard Zussman reports, Premier John Horgan is now asking whether British Columbians want to go it alone in making daylight saving time permanent, even without the rest of the Pacific Northwest. 
It's a routine Ray Saunders has been doing for more than 40 years. Most of the clocks in the city, uh, I have to change the time on them. A tradition that may soon stop ticking. The creator of the Gastown steam clock grappling with the idea that when the clocks spring forward early Sunday morning, it could be for the last time. A bit depressed lately because of that uh, announcement. A huge majority of British Columbians are in favour of the lock the clock movement, but the holdup is down south where Washington, Oregon and California all need congressional approval to get rid of seasonal time changes. One prominent U.S. politician, Florida Senator Marco Rubio, ringing the alarm bell. This is stupid. I'm not looking forward to Sunday. We're going to lose an hour of sleep. Everybody's going to be upset. It's just dumb. UConn announcing this week they're going to stick with permanent daylight saving time and stop the practice of changing these clocks. Now, Premier John Horgan wants to know, should British Columbians go with UConn, even though the United States aren't ready? In our consultation, there was a desire, a majority, that we work uh, in lockstep with our neighbours to the south. Enough is enough. We're stopping it now. And then maybe that'll make Washington State and Oregon uh, speed up a little bit. So I think it'd be kind of nice if he took leadership on this and started it here at BC. But not everyone's so keen. Sleep expert Miriam Judah is alarmed the province will consider a switch to something she says is unhealthy for British Columbians. So scientists specialize in circadian rhythms and sleep over the world unanimously agree that permanent daylight saving time is not a good idea for public health and safety. We would prefer to see permanent standard time instead. With Horgan expecting to make a decision before the clocks are scheduled to switch again in the fall, Saunders knows time may be up on his annual tradition. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Plans for a weekend of racing and healing for two boys were almost derailed by a heartless thief. Wyatt and Tyler had been looking forward to racing this weekend at the Langley Quarter Midget Association track, but those dreams were in jeopardy when someone stole the trailer carrying their go-karts. But as Nadia Stewart reports, that's when the community sprang into action. For 13-year-old Tyler Rouse, the day started with disappointment. You're pretty broke up about this, huh? Yeah. How special is that car to you? Pretty. He and his friend Wyatt Flores were looking forward to hitting the track with their midget racers this weekend. That is until the trailer they were being stored in was stolen. People like to play hockey and soccer. Our kids like to race cars and this is what they do. This is their passion. It's going to be hard. The thief was caught on surveillance footage hauling the trailer away. The family posted a picture on Facebook hoping for witnesses. And that's where this story takes a heartwarming turn. They found the trailer? I uh, happened to be looking out the window at work here and I saw the trailer across the street and it looked uh, familiar. The, I swear I'd seen that somewhere before and I uh, checked back on Facebook and then I walked over and I looked behind the trailer and checked the license plate and saw all the cars taken out of it. Rod Purdom's eagle eye saved the day. It's the news Wyatt's grandfather says he'd been hoping for. The young boy has already endured so much, having lost his mother and sister in a tragic car accident three years ago. He's happy Wyatt won't have to deal with any more disappointment. It was a sign to have, have, uh, have it back today. A good sign and a better way to start this weekend, not to mention a better way to end this story. Nadia Stewart, Global News.
Good luck to Wyatt and Tyler this weekend. All right, also this weekend, the 31st annual Festival Dubois. It kicks off tonight in Coquitlam's Mallardville. It's where we find our Christy Gordon with all the details on the festival. Christy. Thanks so much, Chris. Yes, so we're in Mackin Park, and it runs all weekend long. Tonight is free. I want to introduce you to the executive and artistic director, uh, Joanne Dumas. Merci pour nous recevoir ici. A little bit of French for you there. Joanne, tell us about what's happening here this evening. This evening, we have our Contra Dance evening. It's a free event, so we invite everybody to come. We're here till 10 o'clock tonight. It's going to be great fun, great dancing, great music. And then on the weekend, of course, we start tomorrow and Sunday. Great family fun, great food, tourtières, sugar pies, uh, poutine, the whole thing, and great music and fun for the whole family. Well, it sounds like a great time. Um, I understand, so it's for all ages, right? Yes, absolutely. Even tonight? Yes, of course. Okay. So lots of dancing. I noted that there is a kids area as well, so lots of activities for the kids. And you can get more information on their website. As you mentioned, three tonight, but you can get tickets. It's $20 for adults, $8 for kids, but if it are under five, it is free. And then you can get a family pass for $50. Yes. Thank you so much for having us. Merci. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. The uncle of a Toronto teenager kidnapped on his way to school apparently is retribution for his stepbrother's alleged drug debt is speaking out. The teen was found safe last night and Global's Catherine McDonald has more on what we're learning about the investigation. He woke up and found himself in, in the bush at Brampton. The uncle of the 14-year-old boy who survived a 36-hour ordeal after being abducted says his nephew, seen here in hospital after being found, remembers very little about what happened. He doesn't know them. He doesn't know them. I think he does first asleep. Until he was the asleep second, the whole time? The whole time. Did they do something to drug him? I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to tamper into police investigation. The uncle says the last thing his nephew remembers is leaving his Driftwood Avenue home, heading to school Wednesday morning. He remember being taken and he was saying, help, help. But immediately they pushed him inside the car and they cover him and that was it. Police now say roughly 14 hours after the boy was abducted in a Jeep Wrangler, a citizen called police and reported a vehicle on fire at a conservation area in Caledon. It was 24 hours after that when police were called to a rural property on Heritage Road in Brampton and found the boy. Police won't say how they found him, but say when they arrived at the property, he was disheveled and taken to SickKids Hospital as a precaution. The uncle says his nephew remembers waking up in a barn and being very cold, but his school books and cell phone were gone. Does he remember being in the barn? Yeah, he knows he was. No, he does, when he woke up, he found himself in the barn. He yeah. woke up in the barn. Yeah. And was he tied up? No, he wasn't tied up, but all the clothes were off. He had no clothes, only the, the emergency clothes, this uh, construction uh, uh, uniform. He was in a construction yeah, uniform. Yeah, they, they put that on him. The chief says the investigation remains very active, repeating that the motive for the abduction appears to be retaliation for the stepbrother's $4 million cocaine debt. Detectives have had no contact with the suspects and are still hoping to speak with the victim's stepbrother. The older brother had very limited um, contact with us. We don't know where he is. We, we definitely know that he's not in the GTA, and we're uncertain if, in fact, he's in, in the province. Catherine McDonald, Global News. In health matters tonight, if you want to have a healthy heart, you may want to add olive oil to your diet. Researchers from Harvard followed roughly 100,000 Americans for nearly 25 years. 
They found that eating more than half a tablespoon of olive oil per day lowered the risk of any kind of heart disease by 15% and coronary artery disease by 21%. Also, replacing just a single teaspoon of butter, margarine, or mayonnaise or dairy fat with the same amount of olive oil also decreased the risk. A herring fishery opened in the waters off Denman and Hornby Islands today, drawing dozens of commercial fishing boats out to the Strait of Georgia. That's in spite of the fact the numbers of fish, according to experts, are down 60% from last year. And as Linda Aylesworth reports, conservationists say the 2019 population was already in peril. It is a miracle of nature and one heck of an impressive sight, the annual herring spawn. I think it's one of the most beautiful spectacles on planet Earth, and it's right here in, in Vancouver's doorstep. This morning off Hornby Island in the Salish Sea, it began. It's bringing in, you know, all of the coastal critters from, you know, sea lions and porpoises and whales. But that's not all it brought. Dozens of seine and gillnetters also arrived to take advantage of the only herring fishery remaining on the entire West Coast. From California to Alaska, this is it. We just got news this morning that Alaska State has uh, close their fishery. They're doing that because the fish are too small and they're too young. The same is true here. And yet DFO decided to open this controversial fishery anyway, just as they did last season, even though the number of herring returning this year is down 60%. People on Harmony are so outraged and furious that we've been having protests almost daily here. We're basically just baffled that DFO would open a fishery uh, which has been deemed by its own scientists <coughs> a high-risk fishery. The Department of Fisheries and Oceans response? <coughs> the herring collapse is tough on gillnetters and saners and the marine life that depends on them. From the sea lions trapped in nets while vying for the same dwindling resource to some of BC's most endangered species. 80% of Chinook salmon diet is comprised of herring. And the vast majority of southern resident killer whale diet is Chinook salmon. Overfishing has plagued these remarkable fish for decades, but it would seem their resilience has now been pushed to the limit. Do we want to protect the foundation of our coast or do we want to continue managing it to extinction? Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Police in Australia engage in a car chase and foot chase trying to arrest a suspect. How a dog walker finally helped detain the man they wanted right after Christie's forecast. And she, as we saw earlier, is out at Festival Dubois in Coquitlam. Great night for some two-stepping at the country dance, it sounds like. Oh, yes. The music is just about to get going. These are the Celtic lasses here behind me, three young girls, local girls, uh, that are going to be playing, and people are starting to come in. Now, we have to talk about tomorrow, though, everyone. Yes, we do have a chance of seeing a few flurries, but that chance is starting to wane because the instability that we're watching push in may likely push in in the late morning hours, just late enough that the temperatures have a chance to rise a little bit, likely around 3 or 4 degrees. Certainly higher terrain still could see some snow, 
and I wouldn't be surprised there if lower elevations do, but there's a much better chance just for higher elevations. So showers or flurries late tomorrow morning into the early afternoon hours, but it pushes out pretty quickly. And for the latter part of the day, we're really only talking about a very slight chance of showers, but even into the late evening hours, we could see that. So there's your forecast for Metro Vancouver. Late morning, early afternoon, that's when we could see the band push through, and you'll note the temperatures warm up, but it'll be cold overnight. So this amounts that you see here, we're talking about one to two centimeters if we see it at all. Very limited amounts. This is really on the outside or on the upper end of what we would see. And we are expecting some snow in through the interior region. Sunshine in through the north, but uh, from Kamloops south, Revelstoke south, uh, snowfall overnight into the morning hours, about five centimeters for the Okanagan Valley, potentially up to 10 for the Kootenai Columbia region. So there's your forecast, everyone. Certainly some breaks of sunshine by the afternoon hours. Staying cool, though, tomorrow and lots of sunshine expected over the weekend, well, on Sunday. So this is homemade tortilla, or no, this is homemade sugar pie. The tortilla I passed on because I really had to try the sugar pie. It's basically sugar and cream and a whole bunch of yum, Chris. Mm. It's so, if I remember correctly, it's kind of like butter tart, isn't it? It's like the stuff from butter tarts, isn't it? Mm-hmm. A but like a much um, softer, smoother consistency. Mm. Really I yummy. It. I love it. I'm jealous mm-hmm. of you right now. Thanks very much and have <laughs> fun. Have fun down there tonight. An Australian dog walker helped police in Queensland get their man tackling a suspect following a dramatic car chase. The incident was all caught on camera. Aerial footage posted by police shows the confrontation with one cop attempting to break the window of a stolen truck. The driver nearly hits one of the officers when he backs up before speeding off. When a tire deflation device was deployed, the man ran away. Another man walking his dog saw the fleeing suspect and, as you'll see, tackles the driver. The driver's been charged with offenses related to the unlawful use of a motor vehicle, adding that they are looking for the dog walker to commend him for his actions. Held the guy down until the police could get there. And that reminds me, Rugby Sevens is this weekend at BC Place Stadium. Excellent segue. Squire Barnes is here with Look Ahead. All right, Squire's here with sports. Grabbing the pen, ready to roll. Yes, I am. It's too bad that Kale McCarr isn't ready to roll for the Colorado Avalanche. Otherwise, tonight's game between the Avs and the Canucks will be a battle of the two best rookies in hockey, McCarr and Quinn Hughes. Although I think right now Quinn Hughes has the edge for the Calder Trophy. Uh, Instead, tonight's game is more about the Canucks trying to avoid one of us yelling out, Oh, the humanity, as they crash and burn. But despite the Canucks now in a tenuous wildcard spot, with four straight losses, Travis Green is still very positive about his team. And I love, I love it where we're at right now. You know, I don't love that we haven't got points in our last four games. But we're going through some adversity, and that's okay. We're going through some pressure, and that's all right as well. And uh, that's why we wanted to be in these spots. And that's, I'm confident in this group. They're going to play their asses off for the rest of the year, and, I, and I'm confident they're going to put themselves in the playoffs. Okay, but right now, why are the Canucks' playoff chances fading like Marty McFly's family photo and back to the future? Defense is the basic reason. I mean, there are other reasons, but in the last four months, our defense has been getting looser and looser. And as the playoffs get closer, usually teams become harder to score on, not the Canucks. They've allowed goals, and they've allowed a lot of shots on goal, and it's killing them. Their offense, which isn't all that bad, just can't keep up. We put these stats together. Look. 
Goals against in December, not bad, 292. It goes up in January, goes further up in February. Now, March is a small sample size, but it's up yet again. And you can see the shots against. That's too many. 34, 33, 35, the last couple of games, 37 and a half. Can't do that against an Avalanche team, that's for sure. Okay, Knights and Jets. The Jets in that big group now fighting for a wild card spot with the Canucks. Lucky goal for Winnipeg. Nick Ehlers throws it in front, goes in off the stick of Ryan Reeves. That makes it 1-0 for Winnipeg. Then another good bounce for the Jets. This one goes right to Patrick Laine. He makes it 2-0. It's now 3-0 Winnipeg in the second period. Well, sad news from the BC Lions. Norm Fieldgate has died. Norm Fieldgate was everything with the BC Lions. He was one of their original players in 1954, one of their greatest linebackers. He won a Grey Cup with the team in 1964. He was even the team president for a while. CFL Hall of Famer, BC Sports Hall of Famer, and his number 75 is retired by the club. The other passing today was Montreal Canadiens' great Henri Richard, the only man to win 11 Stanley Cups as a player. His first was 1956. His last Stanley Cup was 1973. He was a big part of the 1971 win against Chicago. In fact, he scored the title. And this goal right here is the winning goal in a Game 7, which was actually in Chicago. Despite... Partway through this series, being benched and calling head coach Al McNeil right there, the worst coach he'd ever played for. Perhaps a benching help, because Richard was the hero, of course, in the end. Well, 40 years ago, the best high school basketball team was Duchess Park of Prince George. It was a Hoosiers-like story. A school from a northern town coming down to Vancouver, into the Pacific Coliseum, where the tournament used to be held, and beating all the big southern schools to win the championship. They were We the North four decades before the Raptors rode that motto to an NBA championship. Duchess Park High School and Prince George beat all the top teams and the odds. No team from the North had ever done it before, and no school has done it since in the top tier of BC high school basketball. They only had nine players total on the roster, but a starting five that was as talented as any in the province, including guard Kent Stanley, who was maybe a little understated back in the day. We play fairly good offense, and most of the time we, we play good defense. So it's, it's, you can't really say uh, we overpower a team in any one area. Also, our big guys do a really good job on the boards. Coming from Prince George at that time, we'd only really had two uh, two guys from Prince George ever go on to play you know, four-year college basketball. And with the, this group that I played with, um, three of us played at the four-year level, two went and played really good community college-level basketball. So basically you had five college players on, on one team. That team spent so much time together, making extensive trips to tournaments in Alberta and the West Coast to play top competition to get them tournament ready. And in the end, the strategy paid off. Today, the remaining eight players have traveled extensively to gather for a 40-year reunion and to watch today's version of the Duchess Park Condors, who are trying to win a 3A championship this weekend. You look down the hallways, you look up in the rafters, you see that 1980s uh, banner. This weekend's pretty big for our team uh, to finally get to meet that uh, historic team. Take it from the guys who've been there. Winning a championship means you'll walk forever together. It's, it's really just have a great time because you'll actually remember a lot of the stuff off the court more than you will the games. It's pretty rare to see that northern 
British Columbia team in whatever sport it is come down and compete against big city teams and, and, and win. Uh, at the time, it was just basketball to us, but now you look back at it 40 years, and I guess it was a pretty big achievement. It's hard not to think about how special that would be to be with that team and to do it this year, 40 years later, exactly, on the 75th anniversary. It'd be pretty special. Great story. Hey, Good stuff great. from the archives, too. That's fun to see. It's amazing what we have in those archives. It is. Here's your snow report for this evening. Incredible numbers on some of these mountains. Whistler Blackcomb picked up 32 centimeters of fresh powder. Grouse 10, Cypress 10, Sasquatch 24. Manny Park picked up 16. Revelstoke and Fernie not a lot, but they will get some in the next 24 hours. Kicking Horse 8. Big White nothing new, but snow will push in by morning hours for that region. Silver Star 2, Sun Peaks 2, and Apex 4. Mount Washington, a nice 10 centimeters of new snow. Whitewater and Red Mountain nothing new but more coming tomorrow powder king four well we could have had satellite debris yesterday but it was a leap year after all and so we got pushed a day forward right extra day mm, is that how it works yeah, i think so okay. oh, listen, don't do you don't just why trust are you making me, me do it. math just, just go with it all right I, whatever you said is awesome that's good awesome and you'll understand why i Got into it. Yes, that way because that is that is the whole premise of this commercial for Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, yeah. Aviation. Van City Reynolds. Yes. This is Arlene Manko. She was born February 29th, 1936, a leap day, which means she has a birthday once every four years. I was technically five years old when I got married. This leap day, Arlene turns 21, legal drinking age. 30,679 days I've waited to turn 21. I had seven kids in 10 years. Do you think sometimes I didn't want to drink? Arlene has never had a legal drink in her life. Following the rules and do what you're told was important to me because that's what I was taught. You don't get in trouble when you do what you're told. But I'm not an angel. That's okay. I'm ready to party. We wanted her first legal drink to be aviation gin. Mm, holy Moses! Happy birthday, Arlene. I didn't know who Ryan Reynolds was. And, you know, they'd say, you don't know who he is? I said, no, I don't know who he is. You know. <laughs> Ignore her. She's been drinking. Oh, that's funny. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, you mentioned the archives. Yeah. For that basketball story, even Henri Richard, too. Let's go back some more. Uh, a couple of favorites from... Well, it's an ad that says that cell phones may have their bad points, but for the most part, they're good. Wait, life was better without phones? Really? Oh gosh, best avoid that. Turn left. That could have been a disaster. Phones one, haters zero. Mm. 
Pizza. Kevin? No, 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 no. And they're even better on the best network for data. Three. If only. Divine. Okay, so the last ones, these are both from Mentos. Hmm. Happy fun time. You'd better come in, love. You'll get cold. Never felt like you wanted the floor to just open up and swallow you? Introducing Awkward Emanticon. A fresh way to express yourself. Brought to you by Mentos. Whoa! Pure fresh chewing gum. I won't feel your milky freshness on my Well, I'm sure we've all had that happen. Mentos. I didn't know. I know. What's up with that? It's funny. Okay. Um, okay, so big, big rugby weekend. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night.